I'm Claire. And I'm Ashley. And And this this is Celebrity Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Remember at the beginning of this podcast series uh, two months ago (laughs) when we were like, oh, every week we'll start with something clever like grab your loins and get (laughs) your birdies. Today is (laughs) book club. That's what I think moms do. Grab their loins and get their birdies. No, they get pencils out and they take notes at book club. I'm sorry, but adult women do not use pencils. Don't degrade us like that. If they're golfing, they do. Do I mean, if they're mini golfing. Women can golf, Claire. But big, big size golf. Big golf. With big golf, you still write your score on a pencil paper. I think you have a servant who does it for you. (laughs) (laughs) The servant uses a pencil and the servants can be women now. (laughs) That is so nice. That's so progressive. That's my favorite progressive thing is um, when like sexism and racism, they forget about like classism. And they're like, I like that a black woman didn't pay any of her employees and refused (laughs) to give them a day off for their own parents funeral we wouldn't be coming after her if she was a man and you're like yeah we probably wouldn't honestly because we do let men get away with a lot but i don't know like the point of feminism and progress is to allow women to treat like poor people just as badly as men do i don't think that that's like my feminism well it's that literal like the same concept as that joke you i think it's a joke you had about like how we don't i like exclamation points and emails like we women shouldn't be getting like more curt and cruel at work like men should get nicer in emails yeah what if men all said sorry before they spoke yeah corporate america wouldn't be so bad what if men were like conscious of their tone and like apologized if they like said something that came across as like very mean (laughs) what if men were aware of the value and worthiness of every human life that was brought forth from their bodies into this planet then i wouldn't have to go into work every day during a pandemic ain't that the truth <laughs> oh my god um ask Did me how my week is doing society claire how's your week just because it dovetails pretty well with what we were just talking about which well, how is, would you title this this chapter of your memoir the problem solving begins oh um i don't know if you guys are following me but on this podcast i've been talking a lot about how i'm pretty depressed mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> true true and i finally this week figured out the solution i um i have a plan a and a plan b plan a is i'm gonna get back into drugs <laughs> in high school i was i will say i've never once seen a depressed drug addict unless they're not currently doing drugs yeah the drugs <laughs> fix the problem mostly so during the day every day i'm gonna take adderall because Good. my big problem right now is i feel like i'm pretty depressed one because of the state of the world you know the pandemic people it's are bad. dying the racism it all makes Ugh. me sad <laughs> the election it all makes me sad. but what sucks more is it's making me so sad that i'm no longer productive and then at the end of the day i have to see how much everybody else is succeeding the pandemic and i feel even worse about myself and i just think if it's like a real chicken or egg thing what's making me more unhappy the depression or the is the depression making me unproductive or is the un productivity making me depressed and so i'm gonna just pick the chicken i'm gonna start taking adderall every day become productive and i think that will actually fix my depression and then my second prong of plan a is i'm gonna get really into weed okay that oh yeah okay this is still a prong of plan a yeah it's the drug prong plan a is drugs so adderall (laughs) in the morning weed at night because that knocks me out i go to sleep immediately and so i can get good sleep without anxiety and then I'll wake up and be so laser focused I'll be losing weight left right and center because I'll be too asleep to smoke to eat after smoking and I'll be too focused to eat during the day yes so I'll be thin and accomplished great if that doesn't make me happy I don't know what will actually I do it's called plan b if for some reason the drug thing doesn't work I will then try therapy (laughs) 
Oh my God, what if plan B was have a baby? Which is funny because plan B is not how you have a baby, you that idiot. Was, That's a should, drug for no baby. Should I actually do plan B? I mean, should I not take plan B and make plan B plan bebe? And then... Plan C will be therapy. Yeah, if the baby doesn't fix my problems, we'll kick it to the curb. We'll drop it off at the drug dealer. I actually have another funny drug story. Okay. So, so to kick off my drug plan, should I be saying this on a podcast? Claire, think of the things we've said on this podcast. The Adderall I do get prescribed from a doctor, so that's fine. That's clear and dandy. But um, so I tried to buy drugs for the first time last week. I tried to buy weed, and yes. I don't know how to roll or like pack a bowl or have a grinder. So I was like, I'm just gonna get 15 pre-rolled blunts. I found them on. I got an extensive menu. It was like a four-page long menu. Yeah, I sent you my girl. This is the first this quarantine for both of us. The first time in my life I've ever had a drug dealer. I've never had to buy my own drugs before. I've always just been handed them at yeah. parties, and I always take them without asking. The problem was the party shut down, and then nobody was around to hand. Nobody was around to just pass me a pill and for me to say. What could go wrong? <laughs> um, so I ordered 15 and I was so excited. I was about to implement plan B, plan A and smoke a little bit of weed so I could go to bed. And I'm like looking at these joints and I can't figure out how to work them. And I'm like making my boyfriend read the directions. And would you guys believe that I bought 15 blunt wrappers with no weed on the inside? It was just... So what did they look like in that I'll you show couldn't them figure out how they work? Was it just a piece of paper? Because that's what no, a blunt wrapper looks like. They're already rolled Oh, they're rolled with no weed in them. I think I bought, they're like Slims. I bought basically like thick cigarettes that you would empty out and then put weed in. Mm. And so I had to text her with my fucking tail between my legs. I'm 28 years old. I'm humiliated. And I'm just like, hey, um, I accidentally, like you're a weed dealer. I actually did mean to buy weed (laughs) and not just like weed canisters. I bought like a suitcase for the weed (laughs) and no plane (laughs) ticket. No weed ticket. Um, and she was just like, oh, my God, I actually did think you made a mistake, but I didn't want to be rude and ask. And I was like, this is the problem with women. She is so nice. Can I tell you why I picked her? Because I texted one friend who does a lot of drugs, and I said, do you know a weed dealer around town that I could meet? And he sent me three people, and I said, women supporting women. I'm going to pick the woman drug dealer. She's so nice. <laughs> she had delivered immediately, um, and she was very understanding. She was like, so I opened one pack, and I was like, can I – return the other four packs because it's five packs of three. <laughs> return the other four packs of no weed. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, so I'll, I'll be making that switch. Until then, I won't be sleeping. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any other news. I, um, I don't know. Mac has been bringing up a lot that when I asked him to move in, I did say I would never be home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will say, to be fair, um a pandemic it's a pandemic where would you be well i guess i used to always be at his house or at your house but now he's always at my house and you're always at my house (laughs) (laughs) and i used to be booked at comedy shows and then the whole community decided to stop letting me do comedy i also will say there's less shows and there's actually nowhere else you can go and hang out there's no bars i mean it is tough to find things like going and hang out at bars is like decidedly unpleasant i went to a bar the other day and like they bring you to a table and then they like said to us they're like you have a 90 minute time limit i tried to go to a bar a few days ago and they were like we were like meeting people there who had a table and they were like you didn't say there'd be four of you and they kicked us all out i was like jesus christ anyway ashley yeah what was the title of your week be? The title of my week is um, is setting boundaries and trying to learn stuff. Yay. 
I feel like I've been setting boundaries and trying to learn stuff. That's so good. <laughs> I know. I've been... Okay, so you guys know that I put all my eggs in the basket of a 6-5. Clearly, that didn't go well. And hey, I Can did I just get... really quickly plug the Patreon? If you sign up oh, for yeah. a Patreon, you'll get even more details about him. And... Not to overtoot it, but he has one of the most insane living situations I've ever heard of. And I really recommend for $5, even if you only sign up for one month, just pay $5 to find out what his living situation was. It was bananas. I do think that if you subscribe for one month, you should just like not subscribe to email notifications and just forget that you subscribed and just like let that $5 slip out every month, you know? Yes. But um, I also forgot to say right quick... Um, I would love if you subscribe to our Patreon. If you don't want to give us $5 a month, but you do want to show us you care, leave a review. It's Please. free. And it means the, the world, world to, to me. <laughs> it to is us. so important to us. To, to we. Us. <laughs> to weeds. Um. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so this guy, um, I do think I've just been obsessed with it because I like got whiplash from the situation. Because um, it was like a fast, a hard in, hard out sitch um and I've just been like kind of replaying it to be like why do I care this much um and I don't it just like is I like dissecting shit and figuring it out and it wouldn't I know that it never would have worked out but I do think it would have fizzled in a less sensational way and so that is why I think I'm like peeved but like I'm dating other people now who are like better people like adults yeah I'm really proud mm -hmm. of you and you're also like setting good time limits on yeah. things I feel like it's there's these things where I'm just like, let's even if I'm free every day, which I am currently, you don't have to hang out with someone every day. You could just hang up. Like, also, do you know what I did do that I think is very important is I went on a first date with someone that I did not like and I did set a second date with them and then I canceled it instead of just hanging out with someone that I do not like just to have something to do. I mean, the growth is unparalleled. <laughs> I've never seen someone grow so much. No one's ever done that. I could write a memoir and have a, a good beginning, middle, and end from the last month and a half, unlike Holly, who never grew, unlike Portia, who never changed. I actually would say your growth is very similar to theirs. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've simply acknowledged it but not done anything to... Well, no, I'm fixing it. My You're actions fixing it. are You're changing. Fixing it. I'm really proud of you. My actions are reflecting... Can I say... Okay, so this is not what we're talking about this week, but like these books do get in my head in a way that I think is unsafe. Tell <laughs> I will me about say, it. Both of us, I think, should be in therapy. I think that you're, like, very depressed about just, like, I'm gonna the state go of the world if my and you're drug channeling thing, it into comedy. If my drug thing doesn't work, I'm going to go. And I think that I have a lot of unhealthy patterns that I refuse to um, acknowledge as actual problems. Um, and I think that, like, reading these books, like, is sinking into my brain in a bad way. Like when after, cause like we had just read Portia and like when this guy stopped talking to me, I was like, it's cause I'm too fat. <laughs> that like, obviously, but like it like was in my head for a second. I was like, that's what Portia would think. <laughs> um, and then also I feel like Portia's book and Holly's book put me in such a bad mood that it made me like not like Mariah's book until after I finished Mariah's book. And I was like, I actually did like that book. But like while I was reading it, I think it was just in my head, these like fucking Looney Tunes. I do think we could do like a, a quick one off episode, maybe around Christmas time about like the art of the memoir and what it means to write a memoir. And it, it, there is something about 
to sit down and write the story of your own life is deeply narcissistic. A lot of the women, we're all, we've only read women, they're yeah. all writing about their lives from the middle of it in a PR mm-hmm. move. So nobody's like at the end of their life looking back, being like, here's what I recall. Yes. Here's a done story. Here's like wisdom. They're all people writing about the rat race that they're still running. And I do yeah. think it's, it colors your mind. Do you know which one? You know who just came out with a memoir that we should definitely do soon? Matthew, is Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. My cousin just told me that, yeah. Oh, my God. I listened to him on Marin, and he said it's like part memoir, part self-help book. And I'm just like, this I got to see. For himself? Do you know what I mean? Do you feel like if you're writing a self-help book, like, at that age, and you're Matthew McConaughey, like, who is it to help yourself? It, like, it's yeah. self-help and that writing a book helped me, myself, get more famous than money. Yeah, so I think that that would be an interesting one because I am excited to do more men's books so that I don't feel so sexist for only hating women. Like, I want to hate men, too. That's fair. (laughs) Well, do you have any final thoughts on this week or should we get into this week's episode with our incredible guest? Um, What did I say about dating? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So the guy that I'm talking to listens to this podcast. And so my literal, I do think best case scenario is that he... Um, has a long-term plan to murder me. <laughs> I would love that. That'd be great for my podcast. Sorry, it would be mine when you were dead. No, of course um, it would be. Our and podcast. Are you kidding me? The publicity of of, of it, me huh? getting murdered, the listens you would get. Honestly, you could pull an Ashley. You could go full weep on the first episode and then just transition back into more memoirs. You could, you'd probably get a book deal, I think, if you played your oh, cards right. for sure. The memoir about the dead friend during the memoir book. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm going to start writing it now. What if, you know, how like when someone... I'm going to start keeping a diary so that I have something to look back on. Yeah. I remember when Ashley first told me about this guy. What about um, the memoirs? Like, have you ever read... There's like this book. I think her name is like Marina Keegan or something. And she was like a Yale student who was like a writing prodigy who like got hit by a car and died when she was like... 18 or something. Like whatever. And they like basically just like published her essays as a memoir. I think I do remember this. Um, I actually have it if you want to read it. It is pretty good, but it's also like kind of dark and weird, whatever. Um, I wonder if they would transcribe my incoherent ramblings that I've been calling my memoir chapters at the beginning of this podcast as my memoir. Well, then thank God you grew this week so you can die and there'll be an ending. Ugh. Thank goodness we, we're closing with some personal growth. Goodbye, sweet world. <laughs> There's no toxic relationships in heaven. <laughs> I guess you won't be there because you're Jewish. Yeah, and a bad person. <laughs> should we get into this week's topic? Hell yeah, we should. Trigger warning. <laughs> yeah, we're doing the second half of our Portia de Rossi tour de force, tour de anoroxia, with an incredible comedian and friend. She's a published author. She has a book out. She has like a million New Yorker essays. She's written in every publication of all time, McSweeney's. She has her old own one called Little Old Lady. She is so funny. She's a great stand-up. Give it up for our friend and comedian, Ginny Hogan. Welcome, Ginny Hogan. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Coming. I'm so excited. Okay, can I ask you just off the bat, like, what was your opinion of Portia de Rossi before the book, and, like, what drew you to the book? Okay, I knew, like, almost nothing about Portia de Rossi. I had watched Arrested Development, and I had seen a little Allie McBeal, but not what she was in. Basically, all I knew about her was that she was married to Alan. Um, And I would say my impression of her was good because I loved Arrested Development. The only thing that got me is that there's, like a jump in between where she like clearly gets plastic surgery, which I think is cool. I'm like into plastic surgery, but then like aggressively denies it. I feel like, 
which I thought that was like my only, the only thing I knew about her that I didn't like. Is that from the third season of Arrested Development? Is that what you're talking about? I think so. Like maybe it's not fair for me to accuse her of lying. And I don't even know if she's come out and like admitted that she's gotten plastic surgery. I just like don't think plastic surgery is something to be embarrassed about. And I think it like kind of sets a bad example to like, pretend that it's a thing to be ashamed of. I think that that is like my new stance on like being an example to kids and stuff is like, you can for sure get plastic surgery. You just have to say it so that no one thinks that that's what they're supposed to look like naturally. That's yeah, exactly. It like just sets unreasonable expectations. If you yeah. Don't I like, I'm starting to get forehead wrinkles and I was like, I must be the oldest person in America. And then I was like, Oh, it turns out like everyone turns 30 and starts getting Botox. And that's why I like, have forehead wrinkles and no one else does. You know what I mean? <laughs> I remember the rest of development thing. And I remember when she came back and I don't know if this was only to me, but I remember there being like a slew of rumors that maybe the joke in Arrested Development was that the character Lindsay Bluth had gotten a ton of plastic surgery. And I wasn't sure which was true, whether it was like an Arrested Development, one of those unspoken jokes because they have so many inside bits or if that was just like truly Portia de Rossi had gotten so much plastic surgery that when she came back, it seemed like it could have been an Arrested Development joke. <laughs> um, so what made you read the book then if you weren't a Portia fan? Um, I mean, I like reading celebrity memoirs. I like reading stuff about eating disorders. This one was intense though. I think I like books where like, I like a memoir where the one of the people has an eating disorder, but maybe not like, this was like all eating disorder and really graphic and, and intense. I had read... Um, this book called Drinking a Love Story that's, like, primarily about an alcoholic, Caroline Knapp, and she has an eating disorder, too, and I just, like, the stuff she writes about it, I feel like she just writes really well about it, so maybe I, that was probably what made me look into this, but, um, yeah, this one was intense. And, um, how long ago did you read this book? I read it, like, ten months ago. Oh, wow. Okay, so relatively recently. And I was, like, looking it up today to remember parts of it. Um, but it, well, I also think it's better because I feel like this book is so fucked up and haunting yeah. that I'm, like, interested to see of all of... Every page is probably a fucked up haunting detail. Which of those 300 fucked up haunting details has haunted you the most? <laughs> um, the 82 pounds really has haunted me. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, so insane. Those uh, you haven't... Uh, read the book. 82 pounds is her absolute weight lowest. Is a Chris, She gets down to 89 and is so proud of herself and then keeps pushing. And at one point she is 82 pounds, five foot seven. I can't believe it. It's disgusting. Um, and then the doctor like calling her with all the health problems she has is really haunting. I will say like the ending that like, um, how it just wrapped up so quickly, I hate it. And I remember that about it, maybe. Like, I feel very strongly that that is a huge mistake that they made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think also, like, one thing that really stuck with me is, like, and this probably more tests into, like, whether or not it was ethical to write this, but when she's, like, in recovery and she, like, describes herself weighing, like, 160 pounds and, like, being like, I can't believe I met Ellen then and she was, like, attracted to me when I was, like, huge. I was like, that's really like a lot to say when that's kind of like a normal weight. Like, I don't know. And even if it weren't, well, something that I think is interesting is in that ending. So I'll just like, let people know something that I think is really fucked about this book. And apparently we all felt that way is that the book ends on the doctor calling her, telling her that she's like given herself lupus basically with her eating disorder. And that's where it ends. And then in the epilogue, she covers the next 10 years of like eating disorder recovery and meeting Ellen DeGeneres and getting married. So it's like one year is the bulk of the book and then the book ends. So structurally the story is not about recovering from an eating disorder. It's At about yes. the eating disorder itself. And in the epilogue, she talks about going from 82 pounds 
to 162 pounds in 10 months time. And she goes, I can't believe in 10 months time, I had been between the two extremes. <laughs> yes, that maybe, yeah, that's, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 162 pounds is not extreme. 82 yeah. pounds, it, like that's not the two extreme. I will say that like, one of the things that I found really fucked up, like one of the most damaging parts to me is the fact that the epilogue still stayed like very fat phobic. <laughs> like, and you know, I think that that word is goofy as hell, but like the way, so she talks about how when she recovered and she finally learned about like intuitive eating and like listening to her body and whatever. And she like had always seen these women who weighed like 130 pounds without really trying. And then she was like, I realized that all I had to do was like listen to myself and my, I was the kind of person who could weigh 130 pounds without really trying if I just like trusted my hunger and my body and whatever. And it's sort of this celebration of realizing that 130 pounds isn't that hard to maintain. And it's just like, that's not everyone's middle. Like you're still creating this like body ideal. And like maybe your ideal is no longer 110 pounds. Now it's 130, but like you still have this ideal that's very unattainable for a lot of people. And that should be like, you're, she sounded to me like in no way recovered. (laughs) I used to listen to this podcast on like intuitive eating and kind of like having more healthy food habits. And the um, the host made a point of like bleeping out any numbers if people came on and like talked about their weight. And I think like this book would be a really good example of when she should have done that. Maybe not with like the low end. Like if it's like anyone would think 82 pounds is like really extreme. And maybe if she wanted to make that point, she could. But in terms of like what her weight was when it was normal or like her definition of normal. I don't think it was like necessary for her to like tell people that, you know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. still like, well, I I mean, when she's getting down and she's saying things like I couldn't be anorexic, I'm not, I own, I still weigh 92 pounds. How could anybody be anorexic if they're in the nineties? Like, I do think that was helpful in seeing just how sick it was. Like to her, I'm not anorexic. I'm only 82 pounds because I'm good at dieting. And you're like, what the fuck do you think anorexia is being good at dieting? (laughs) Yeah. We're not good. It's being overcome by, I guess I don't want to like contribute. Normally I'm all pro like joking about this shit, but she was so sick that I, I mean, I'm taking that bite of a bagel and it's because I haven't eaten all day because that book did make me hyper-conscious of how much I'm eating. Actually, like you had said one of the questions was going to be like, if I thought it was ethical and I didn't know, I like at first thought maybe that that was like a question about celebrity memoirs in general because they talk about like other people and stuff. But I will say it is, like, a manual for, like, how to have an eating disorder. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I do think that people, like, are too judgmental of people who talk about eating disorders and that it's, like, considered, like, triggering if you describe, like, the symptoms of an eating disorder because to many people that's, like, a desirable state or, like, they perceive, like, the outcome of an eating disorder as desirable. But that's not really, like, the fault of the person who has the eating disorder. That's kind of, like, society. I agree 100%. And I think I don't hold her accountable, but I do hold her publishers and her editors yeah. accountable. Why are you... The choice to write the entire thing in the first person without... And, like, in the first person present without any retrospective context, I thought was very dangerous Mm because it is just 250 pages of her screaming at herself that she's an ugly, lazy piece of shit. At one point, she says anybody who takes an elevator is lazy. She has this one part about how she's bragging about how everyone on set is so impressed with how little she eats. And she's like, they keep testing me by making the PAs ask me if I want anything to eat or drink. And every time I say no, they say, we're so impressed. And you're like, that clearly did not happen. That's like not what was happening. And the fact that she's allowed to put that, that thought forward without the like, now that I'm healthy, I see they weren't testing me, that they were worried. But at the time, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was dangerous. I thought the ending. So for, if you guys haven't read it, the way she ends the book 
is she's passed out on the set of her first major length movie. She passes out. They call the doctors. The doctors then do all these blood work and tests and stuff and call her back. And she has osteoporosis, cirrhosis of the liver. She's given herself lupus and, um, oh, and she hasn't gotten her period in like a year. And each of these diagnoses is paired with a photo of her at her thinnest, which is, and that's where the book ends. It ends with like a celebration of how thin she is. And the problem is, and this is like our fucked up societal mind, is you're looking at these photos and there's one where you go, okay, she's way too skinny there. But the rest, she looks pretty normal. And so it's like this weird thing where being like, by the way, when you're about to die, you still just look normal. So if you want to look normal, you better get close to death, And bitch. they're all like most, for the most part, these like kind of gorgeous model-y shots where it's like very professional, whatever. So it's like, yeah, like if you're on the brink of death, you're a model now. Like <laughs> that's, yeah. I don't know. I was going to say, I also felt very strongly that like, I think to put this out there is not what I've found. I think the general meat of the book like I think that if she had made this a book with like equal parts sickness and recovery I would have felt better about it because the hardest part about an eating disorder really is like you it is very positive when you lose a fuck ton of weight regardless of if it's healthy or not like people like you more like people are nicer to you people are like our society values thinness in a way that is not good but it does and so like the fact that like she was being celebrated for being so thin I think in general, like for a regular person to lose a bunch of weight in a healthy way, people are like weirdly celebratory about it. And then gaining it back is, or not even gaining it back, but like learning how to eat normally again, like is really hard. Like it's hard to start like, cause you have to eat. Like it's not like alcoholism where you like quit drinking and you can just not drink anymore. Like she mentions that, like you can't not have food anymore. You have to start eating again. You have to gain weight and also being someone who's like in front of the camera, like that has to be really hard. And so the fact that she like didn't detail any of her recovery in a significant way, I think is like really unethical for me. Yeah, I agree. And like, there's no part of it other than like glamorous photos, but I even like, I feel like I, maybe the first photo was too much and I couldn't even look at them, but like there's definitely no part of it that seems appealing when she's in it. It's like, she you can tell how like depressed she is and how fucked up everything is but like you still know that like it still isn't showing her so much being like I'm happy and healthy now and I can like look back on this behavior and see exactly kind of where it went wrong and and that kind of thing and like it is just like it really does it does not show like and even yeah like what you're saying with the struggles of recovering from eating disorder too like even if you're getting like happier and healthier like you're still getting some like negative reaction from society and stuff and she like does not go into that at all yeah I think another weird part of the book is that since it only covers that one year of her eating disorder and also that eating disorder like is both sparked by and like coincides with her like rise in fame mm-hmm. it's hard to see that this was bad for her like obviously she doesn't have any friends this is I don't know how to say this without being like obviously she seems so fucked up and depressed and sick in the book she's like running on a treadmill naked in an attic covered in the numbers of her (laughs) like she is so disturbed but there's I think because it's written in the present tense and there's never like looking back I wish I had gone to this wedding I wish I had gone to see this friend which I wish I had been able to do these things but I couldn't like it's so in the moment that you forget that there is an outside life that she's missing out on and it's so like she keeps talking about how she's getting fewer scenes in Ally McBeal and it's probably because she's too fat 
Um, I wasn't familiar with Portia at all, really, besides Arrested Development. So I didn't really know what she was like then. But she kept talking about how fat she was in a Rolling Stone cover. She was talking about how fat she was in her underwear. She was talking about how fat. I had to, like, Google her to realize how fucked up her mind was. Because she's so convincingly writes about being ugly and fat. Like, the way she talks about her, her like, thighs, like, bulging out of a skirt. I, like, looked up her in, like, a pencil skirt for Allie McBeal. And, like, she's so... Like, I looked up her first episode of Allie McBeal where she talks about how, like, fat and horrible she was. And it's just, like, mind-blowing to be, like, this woman is out of her mind and, like, isn't writing back on it to be, like, I was wrong to think this. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. It's not at all a memoir that deters you from wanting to be anorexic. And I know that's fucked up because obviously she's unhappy in it. But she also is, like, a TV star. She also is getting praised for being thin. She never talks about, like... I don't know. She got osteoporosis and now she says she bounced back without any long-term damage. It's not a book that makes you not want to be anorexic or think this is terrible. It seems like, oh, well, if I just could have balanced it better. I don't know. I think it's like truly a memoir and not like a cautionary tale necessarily. I also think it's like kind of proof that if you're like in Hollywood and you're an, an actress, you have to be so anorexic to be like noticeably anorexic because like, the stuff where, like, her agent had told her she, like, had big thighs or whatever. Like, I feel like any other woman in that situation, even if they weren't, like, extremely anorexic, would be like, oh, I have to, like, lose five pounds or something. Or you know what I mean? Like, I mean, this was... Did you guys watch the Taylor Swift documentary? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they'd go into Taylor Swift's eating disorder for, like, literally um, two minutes, like, it, it, like, honestly, to me, and this is so fucked up and, like, me having been socialized by society, it doesn't even seem that bad. It's kind of like, okay, she... Like, maybe because she didn't talk about it enough, but it's like, yeah, she, like, lost too much weight and didn't have enough energy and then got healthier again. But, like, to make a dent on Hollywood, it, like, in terms of Hollywood scale of, like, what an eating disorder is, you literally have to be, like, Portia de Rossi. Like, it's like... Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift is somebody who, when she was in that anorexia, she was a skinny girl. And you're like, oh, that's what she is. She's a skinny girl. And now that I look at her, I look back and I'm like, oh, she was an emaciated girl. It didn't even register as that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, like, the way she talked about it, like, she made it sound like she kind of had just, like, gritted her teeth to get over it and was like, now if I don't like a photo, I just don't look at it. And I was like, you also don't sound that recovered. Yeah, like, it seems like none of them have, like, come to terms with having a body that isn't, like, the Hollywood standard. They've just come to terms with, like, knowing when they should ignore themselves and the media. You know what I mean? It's, like, a weird thing where they're not, like being hyper skinny is not the ideal they're like I've come to terms with the fact that like being hyper skinny is not my body's natural state yeah I don't know (laughs) I agree it does not seem like they've been like I am better this way it's more like they're like I can ignore the people telling me I'm worse this way yeah (laughs) like they neither of them really said like society is wrong for thinking I have to be that way they're like no I like ideally would be but it was making me so sick that I just can't keep it up (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like very fucked. I mean, I also remember like from reading Jessica Simpson's memoir when she's talking about like how she gets got so criticized by the press for just like one unflattering photo of her. I was like, oh, I kind of remember when I was in high school and like every tabloid was like fat shaming Jessica Simpson. And then I'm like, oh, maybe like the media's improved and we don't fat shame actresses like that. And then I like was like, actually, I think I just stopped reading that stuff. I do the- think though that the Kardashians heralded in a new era of a new body type that is allowed to be bigger in some areas but only in the like the specific areas that it's allowed to be bigger in but I do think we were raised in a particularly anorexic time period of like the late 90s early 2000s you remember that picture of Nicole Richie running on the beach the oh. Olsen twins Misha Barton um um Kira Knightley yeah 
mean, and Portia de Rosa, these were the people, like, it just got thinner and thinner and thinner. And it is like a contagious disease. Mm-hmm. One of the few contagious um, yeah. mental illnesses where it's like, if you are comparing yourself every day to a skinny girl, you're going to you're gonna want to get skinny too. It's interesting the way on Allie McBeal, I don't remember this part, but she said everybody ate lunch separately, which is very different than her old TV shows. And I look back and I go, that was probably because Callista was also anorexic. I know that show was famous for being full of anorexic women who all got smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. And I'm sure it's because they were all going to their, like, I'm sure Calista Flockhart was also going to her locker room or whatever to eat tuna fish out of a can with chopsticks. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I watched a little bit of Valley Mayfield, but not the stuff of Portia Dressy. And I do remember, like, Calista being in the tabloids for being anorexic, which is also, like, it's kind of hard because every once in a while, I mean, I don't know if I should say every once in a while, but, like, there are people who are just, like, naturally very thin. And you would also, like, I feel like they get, like, kind of like everyone just sort of gets lumped together. But I do think that the 90s, early 2000s, like if people on television were like, although now, I mean, they're still like very thin, but it's just like, like way more. Yeah. I do think now the media covers it differently. Now they like try to be all up on their high horse about calling people out or like I noticed something a couple years ago, the way that like the media will talk about curvier women or whatever. It still seems very like forced and weird. Like I remember one time seeing... Um, not one time, like several times seeing headlines that are like so-and-so flaunts their curves in a bikini, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, no, no. So-and-so just like isn't stick thin and is wearing a bikini. (laughs) They're not like flaunting curves specifically. (laughs) It's like they're trying to like celebrate more body types by sounding like absolutely psychotic in more ways than just celebrating thinness. And then they also like overcorrect in ways that are damaging. Like there are certain people who like are just very thin or you know, we're living in an era of every celebrity having like chronic illness. Like (laughs) I remember seeing like all those headlines, like calling Sarah Highland out for being like the skinniest person alive and how she was starving herself. That's like when she came out about having like a fuck ton of chronic illnesses and being like, stop. I like had a feeding tube for a year last, like. Or Chadwick Boseman, that just happened to him. Everybody made fun of him on the internet for being thin and it turned out he wasn't thin. He was atrophying and dying. So yeah. Yeah, so I just think that, like, overall, it's, like, the overcorrection to try and be positive about bodies or whatever and, like, encourage people to, like, be a healthier size is, like, also bad. And, like, maybe they should just Yeah, I agree. And, like, maybe it shouldn't be, like, the casting call is for, like, you know, like, an actress, like, for a specific body type or whatever. And instead, anyone could Mm -hmm. be the, like, romantic lead or whatever. Like, it doesn't have to be. I do want to have the rise of Instagram help in the sense that for the first time people are kind of in control of their own image. And then I do get that. Like when you're walking on the beach with weird lighting, the sun and angle that you're not sure of, and you're in motion that you do have to be stick thin to, to make sure to have no fat anywhere. You have to be close to death if you're a woman. And now that people have Instagram and stuff, I think it does allow for models, influencers or whatever to control the way their body is portrayed. So you can find more flattering angles at all sizes and that gets into the mainstream consciousness the idea that like you actually can be sexy and 123 pounds (laughs) believe it or not if you try hard enough (laughs) yeah that's the other thing is like all these people are still so yeah that's yeah even like on television now it's like no it's crazy were there any specific moments of honesty that stayed with you or kind of surprised you 
I mean, I found the book like extremely honest overall. And I would say like the honesty is kind of the thing that is its hook, basically. Like it's not good writing, really. You know, she's telling the truth. I well, feel like she's the first celebrity to really be honest about like, this is what it takes to look skinny on TV. They're all doing that. That's the th- that's why I'm kind of like hesitant. Like, I think the book could have been way better edited to make it less problematic. But overall, the premise of like someone taking you inside the mind of like an anorexic woman, I don't think is bad. People talk about addiction all the time, talk about like depression anxiety and like it does feel like you're supposed because it's contagious you're supposed to like shut up if you have an eating disorder so I thought I kind of did like how sort of like raw she was and it I think she knows that it makes her look like I I think she knows kind of how it makes her look but um I'm trying to think like the stuff about like being bulimic really stuck with me just because it's such a vivid description of like everything she ate and like I almost could I felt like I could feel her anxiety because it's like if you're a bulimic like you don't actually have complete control over your weight you're way more likely to be like super bloated or fluctuate or something and like her like fittings when she was bulimic and that kind of thing like I like felt her anxiety about like having the skirts fit and stuff it was like I agree. And that is a super successful book in terms of taking you into the mind of an anorexic. And I feel like that's almost why it's so dangerous because you're in there being like, did I have gum today? At one point she cuts out toothpaste because she allowed herself to have a glass of wine and she's, and then she'll throw all the wine up. But in case any residual sugar gets into her system, she cuts out toothpaste to make sure no extra sugar is getting to her system. Like that is so intense and sick, but there's a scene where she binges on gum. She has what she thinks might have amounted to 60 calories worth of gum. And she freaks out and starts doing sprints in the parking lot. And then when she gets home, she like runs out of her car, starts doing sprints up and down her buildings, um, a stairwell. She calls everyone. She's like, luckily it's empty because everyone in my building is lazy because they take the elevator. And I'm like, I just think that's what humans do. They take the elevator. And it's so frantic to undo the 60 calories that she like leaves her dog outside and left her car open. And like, but in that moment, you're so, you're like, we have to go to these 60 calories. We almost binge. You're like, I get it. Yeah. It is a deeply honest book. And it really does make me think like people like Angelina Jolie, like she's doing this shit too. You know what I mean? It's so hidden. And I think she had the original, she had the original filler face in terms of her face was round. So it kind of concealed a lot of what the damage being done to her body. Like I have a face that if I lost 10 pounds, my face would look so sucked out. You would know immediately. But I feel like the trick in Hollywood now is everyone gets filler in their face. So even if their body is super sucked out, their face still looks normal and it tricks your eye into thinking they're healthy, full, like collagen people. Yeah. But I just kind of think like all those celebrities, they're not doing things that different than this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think in terms of it being like a manual for an eating disorder, like realistically, like the stuff that she does that's so insane, like the counting the gum or whatever, is like, yeah, that's like extreme anorexic behavior. Really pushes you over the edge. But stuff that would just like enable like a normal person to like lose an unhealthy amount of weight is like peddled as mainstream diet advice. The stuff about her like only mm-hmm. eating like tuna fish or whatever, like it's not like she's the first person who's told people that. Like that, like you could eat, like Gwyneth Paltrow would say that that's like a health. I, mean, I don't know about Gwyneth Paltrow, but like that's just like would be, you know, 10 years ago, like Glamour would have run an article on like why that's healthy, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, at the end of the day, it is calories in, calories out. She counted yeah. some of her calories and burned as many as she could. That's not like the rocket science. Yeah. But I think it's the words around it. She calls, 
Kandinsky as an artist, a fat artist, because fat people are like sloppy and cross the lines. And then she calls, I mean, every time she encounters someone, she calls them tired and fat and lazy. Like just. That's a good idea. She's really. When she's like looking at herself and you're going, you're a fat, ugly dyke and nobody loves you and you don't deserve love. You're too fat to deserve love. Like ugly people are lazy people. Fat people aren't worthy of success. Fat people are stupid. Like it's so deep mm-hmm. in there that that's the part that I think is so dangerous. She has a line and this is from the recovery. This is an epilogue that struck me. And I was like, God, you need help so bad. She talks about how she stopped doing exercise because she got too addicted to it. So she is allergic to exercise now. And instead she just lives a healthy lifestyle full of activities she loves. And she goes like for, and then she lists like 20 activities that she does every day. And you're like, okay, so you are working out 12 hours a day, but one of them is walking her dog quickly And she's like, I've noticed that you never see overweight people walking their dog. You only ever see overweight people walking on the treadmill at the gym. And you're like, who left this in there? This is such a fucked up thing to say about other people. Leave other people out of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like I would say that I do think that like her giving the recipes to her like butter jello or whatever the fuck it is she ate is like not the problem. I think it's like the way she condemns the need to eat. Do you know what I mean? Like she's like, if you feel like you like have to eat, then you're like weak and not in control of yourself. Like she talks about how like one part that really stuck with me is like when she's mixing the tuna and butter, like if it, if she mixes it too fast and it like splatters, then she like doesn't eat because she's like my urgency like means I was too eager to eat and I'm not in control. And like, it really did make me think for a second of like, I don't know, like it was hard to read her saying like, if you need to eat and you're like excited to eat or your body is hungry and you're like over eager to get food, you're like weak and bad. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's all really like, yeah. She definitely like has like a very puritanical view of it and does not come around to, um, like dismissing that basically still clearly prioritizes being healthy and or like being thin and just yeah that's the thing is like it doesn't seem like she prioritizes being healthy in the end at all she like prioritizes being thin and is like proud of the fact that she has stayed thin in a healthy way she like Portia puts a big like moral judgment on it I think and even with like I feel like in a lot of these like when people talk about um recovery and like returning to like healthy like they're still kind of putting a moral judgment on like health which is like like someone also could recover and not be healthy, but like not be anorexic anymore. And that would still be like a recovery. I guess like the term health is just so nebulous anyway. It's like unclear to what extent she's recovered. And she clearly like thinks of it as like, if you're overweight, you have not fully recovered basically. Yeah. I mean, well, I would agree that I knew a girl who recovered from her eating disorder and it was so clear like her whole post eating disorder personality was that she would allow herself to eat whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. And she was always tweeting things like my goal this year is to eat three pieces of cake every day. Like every time I want candy, I'm going to go get it. And I just remember being like, I don't think that this is necessarily recovered. I don't know that this is an existence where food doesn't determine. Your like, yeah, it's so controlling her. Like she's trying to prove a point with food. Yeah. Basically. I also don't know that it's good to be like, I used to starve myself. And so now I'm going to overindulge myself past the point of comfort and be like unhappy all the time. Right. Yeah. I agree that it is really comp. Like, I don't know what the right answer is. Like, I do think that people should be able to talk about eating disorders and whatever. But like, I also think it's like a weird and triggering topic that like needs to be talked about very delicately. I I, like don't really know what the right way would have been. I think that's what I think. Like, I agree with you, Jenny, a lot that it's like at the end of the day, eating 
a little bit of tuna fish, that's not groundbreaking, like life changing mm-hmm. information. I think to see how little she ate and to see the weight, I do think the 82 pounds and to hear her say, I'm not anorexic. If that was helpful and seeing how sick she was and how like unreliable of a narrator she was at the time. But I do think it was the moral judgments on weight. And then it was the saying things obje- that were like to her sick mind, objectively true without any context or any like retrospection at it. Yeah. Uh, saying things like everybody in America diets and everybody wishes they could diet as well as I am. And I'm just the best at it. Like it was the constant comments like that, the constant comments of saying, if you, without ever saying at the time, I thought this at the yeah. time I couldn't have friends because like, you know what I mean? At the time, I mean, I really do wonder with Ally McPhail, it seems like she's getting fewer and fewer scenes by the end. And I'm like, one, is that even true? Two, is it because you were so sick? Like there has to have been a point where they couldn't have put her in her final stages in underwear on TV because she did look ill. Like I wish there had been some sort of, here's what was actually going on. Like, here's what my mind was telling me, but here's what was happening in real life. All of my friends had abandoned me because they couldn't handle it anymore. Like just somebody being like, my dog got really sick because I was so obsessed with like doing lunges. I forgot to take them to the doctor. Like just any sort of counter to be like, by the way, here was the reality. Like here's my sick mind and here was what yeah. Do you know what um, actually like did do it really well that I think like could have been a way to do this book? I don't know. Um, Nikki Six from um, Motley Crue. I read his book. I don't know if we'll do an episode on it or not, but like he, his book is direct journal entries from the time where he was like in the depths of his addiction paired with modern day commentary from him and the people in his life. So it'll be like a journal entry in one color and then, like, commentary looking back on those moments, like, with, like, him being, like, I was straight up lying to myself here, like, everything, you know, and then it'll be, like, his tour manager, like, his bandmates, like, people he was dating, people he worked with, like, sort of commenting back on these moments, saying, like, like we all knew he was lying, but, like, you know, we, like, had to tour to make money, so, like, they just kept us on the road anyway. Like, it was just, it's really interesting to read, like, where he knew that he was just, like, sick and fucking with himself, like, lying to himself in his own journal and things like that. Um, plus having the commentary from the people in his life being, like, it's, like, that classic music industry thing of, like, everyone around him knew how sick he was. They just, like, if he stopped playing, they would stop making money. So they just kind of, like, were, like, okay, what's, like, the minimum amount of drugs we can get him where he, like, won't die today, but, like, will be able to get on stage, you know? Totally. I almost think it's, like, she thinks she thinks that it's going to... Her thought processes are going to come off as more objectively insane than they do sometimes, so she feels like she can, like, be like, oh, if I say this thing, like, people who take the stairs are lazy, it'll be clear that that's, like, my sick brain, but I think that while, like, her extreme stuff is obviously, like, not that common, like... The st- stuff about like I ate too much and now I need to exercise more I think is like a very common thought that women have so like when she's saying it like even when she's trying to tell it from the perspective of her like sick mind like it is like it still kind of resonates with people as like something that does make sense sort of and that's I mean, yeah because the thing is that the sickness is true like it is in our society when she talks about worshiping anorexics and saying she thinks she can't be anorexic because anorexics are like impressive admirable people and she just doesn't think she's admirable enough to be anorexic and I mean, I, who among us has not been impressed by a woman with the willpower to say no to food? And like, there is something fucked up and specifically female, like admirable about being able to be stronger than your body. Yeah. 
having the willpower in this, I mean, it's fucked up, but it is like being thin is so important in society. But I mean, she did such a good job like getting you in her brain that when she's talking about being a 12 year old girl who with nothing but like tenacity was able to land a modeling job, even though she was so ugly. I was like, Oh wow. Good for her. And then I was like, like, of course she wasn't ugly. She's beautiful. She was like a hit TV actor. Like she fully convinced me that she was just this ugly fat girl who like was able to talk her way into a big game. And I was like, how did I fall for that? Like that's, there's no external perspective, which I think would have been kept the book from being dangerous. Cause I mean, I've never had like a serious eating disorder, but of course I'm a woman in America. I've always been obsessed with like my weight and what I'm eating. And like, it's been hard for me to eat all week. Cause I'm like, I shouldn't be, not that I like, not that I took a handbook from this, but I was made aware of my body and how much I also would like to be thin. Yeah. And how, there's this kind of thing where it's like, yeah, Claire, you dumb bitch. It's just calories in calories out. Just eat less calories. You idiot. <laughs> See, look at she, look what she did. <laughs> like, that's what I've been hearing all week since like reading her book. And then if I just had a little bit more willpower, if I work, she keeps calling it hard work. She keeps saying she wants to be admired for the hard work she put into her job of being an actress. And as somebody in like a tangentially showbiz thing, I am kind of like, I don't know, maybe I should fucking stop eating so that like I put in the hard work. If I put in the work into eating, I put in the work into everything else and maybe I'd be successful and not such a lazy piece of shit. That's Portia. (laughs) Yeah, that's where I think it would really benefit from, like, someone else's perspective. Because, like, maybe she also wasn't getting scenes because she, like, had no energy and they, like, couldn't get her. Like, she, like, they just, like, couldn't her on television because mm-hmm. she was, like, basically dying. And Yeah, like, she never says that she, like, lost focus mm-hmm. in work or anything like that. She just says all I was thinking about was eating and, like, how I was going to manage my next meal and, like, make it less calories or whatever. And it's, like, maybe maybe the fact that she like wasn't at all focused on her scenes, on her acting on her, like maybe it did affect her job. Um, and there's no way to know that. And like, I completely agree that like reading this book, there were, there was a night, um, Claire, I told you when I got like super drunk the other night is because I didn't eat dinner because when I was leaving my house, I like was kind of in a rush to get somewhere. And, um, I like hadn't eaten dinner yet. And then I like, wasn't even hungry really. I just, and then I was like, if I'm not even very hungry, I just like I'm eating just because it's time to eat. Is that lazy and stupid of me? (laughs) And so then I just left the house without eating. And then I was out and I like got a couple drinks and I was like, how am I this fucking drunk right now? And then I remembered that I hadn't eaten because Portia told me not to. (laughs) I've had like some eating disorder issues in the past. And I was like, I don't think I was in like the right mental state to read this book. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have to, when I hear about someone getting like so extremely thin, it makes me feel like my bones are about to break. I don't know if that's like, no, you feel brittle. Yeah. 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 Like just like, I hope you hug them. You feel like physically weak when you, read about like when I was like thinking about how skinny she was I was like I like feel like she could snap I could snap like everyone's about to she snap. wasn't about to snap if she had osteoporosis yeah also like like I get that it wouldn't be like I don't think it'd be that productive if she went into like how it actually did have long-term health consequences and I bet like mostly her physical health recovered but it does feel like that would have some mm-hmm. like long-term consequences but I think it's probably like even for her own mental state, it's not that helpful for her to focus on what she's done permanently to her body. So I get why they like lost over it, but it did feel like the rebound was like too fast. And she was like, now I'm healed. And I agree. I feel like Ashley, you've been saying this to me all week, but I think one of the problems of the book is that at the end of the day, she is successful. And so I kind of feel like one of the things about it is like, look, look at everything she sacrificed to be this thin. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I would fucking kill to have like the success she had. She came in and took Hollywood by storm within two years. She was on a hit show 
And it does feel like, well, she was still showing up and doing her job and like booking movies. And she was the face of L'Oreal. I don't know. There is something too, like she was a very hard worker and it, and it extended to all parts of her life. And maybe if I could start with food, I could like be as hard a worker as her in all aspects, but that's, that's not true. I'm sure she would have been even more successful if she had a little carbs in her. Totally. Um, okay. So finish like after you read this book, like had your opinion of her changed? Um, I guess I didn't have a strong enough opinion going in. Uh, my opinion of her after, I guess I would say I didn't like her after, which kind of feels mean. Cause it's like, she doesn't like, it is like as much as I think people should be allowed to express themselves. Like, and I do think more of it is kind of like the fault of her editor. And she's like really trying to take you into her mind. Like, it did make it seem like she was, like, a person I didn't want to spend time with. And maybe that's because of the epilogue. I think, like, the thing about her being at the extremes at, like, 160 kind of got to me. And, like, yeah, so it, I would say, like, overall, I probably now have, like, a negative opinion of her. And it's not, like, I don't know. And I don't have a high opinion of Ellen. Um, and that's, like, only gone down. So that has probably affected it, too. Um, it was definitely interesting to read in the wake of the Ellen scandal of her being an awful person. Thinking about the fact that Ellen, this kind of, like, megalomaniac who's cruel to people would find clearly a fucked up damaged weak person to marry like I can only imagine what their dynamic is Portia is right for like manipulation and making her feel shit like she comes to you feeling shitty and ashamed of who she is do you know what made me think that their relationship is incredibly toxic it's that there's a line in the epilogue where she says outright I was fully recovered before I started dating Ellen and it makes me really feel like she wasn't <laughs> like that is such a weird out of place line to have in there like I didn't ask. um second of all <laughs> Ellen reads the book and she comes down and goes just let wow you were crazy back then let everybody know you're not crazy now <laughs> I was just like yeah no that's insane and it's Oh my also, God. like, you'd think that Ellen would know all that stuff about her by the time that they were married. Like, it would not be a surprise to her. And, like, yeah, it is, like, yeah, it puts, like, definitely a very negative stigma on, like, being mentally ill in general. Like, there's, it's, yeah, I don't know. And also a deep misunderstanding of what, an eating disorder is something that is with you for life. Like, it is not a durable disease. It's a manageable disease. And the idea that it's, like, let people know I'm not dealing with that shit. Like, that's just yeah. not. <laughs> she is still that woman. She is that Portia. will always be that yeah. Portia. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is like the way the epilogue ma- wants you to be like, wants you to believe she's over it. It's like, nobody's over mm-hmm. it. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I get that. I mean, I will say like, I guess another thought I had, I listened to Dak Shepard's podcast this morning about how he like relapsed. Did you guys listen to that? Or like, here. but no. his whole, his podcast is like about sobriety. And then he like admits that he's been like, he was like an epilogue. Wait, when did he Like, very recently. Or I guess, actually, like, kind of it's been happening for, like, two months, but he, like, came clean about it on his podcast, like, pretty recently. I've listened to episodes before. I'm going to listen to that one. It's a really good one, and it's, like, pretty short. But, like, it kind of made me think of the book, I guess, probably because I was trying, just, like, thinking about the book this morning. But, like, he, I didn't find it triggering, but, like, he, so basically he was an alcoholic and um, had a cocaine problem. And then he quit both of those. And after an accident, he started taking painkillers and he basically relapsed on painkillers. And he describes like how he kept justifying it to himself by being like, oh, I'm fully functional. I'm just going to take like two Percocet and like do this interview. But I'm like thinking clearly. I'm like doing everything I need to do as a dad. Like I'm like, I'm not relapsing because I'm not on the same drugs that I had problems with before. And like I um, have a problem with alcohol and it made me want to do like a little bit, not in a big way, but I was like, 
well, maybe like if I did painkillers, I wouldn't want to drink. Like it would just be like an alternate thing, basically. Like, so even though like, it's like kind of like anyone taking you into their like fucked up brain, if you have something in common with them, you're going to like find it desirable too. Even though it's like, there's really nothing desirable about addiction. But like when I listened to it, I was like, maybe I, I, I like, firstly, I fully understood where he was coming from because he's trying to explain why like he didn't think of painkillers as relapsing and I'm like oh I totally get that like that makes a lot of sense to me even though I think probably to other people it would not but like it definitely just like made it seem really appealing so not really appealing but like I think if anyone who has like a slight propensity towards eating disorders and maybe what's damaging about talking about eating disorders is that there's it's so common to have like a small amount of eating disorder yeah, we're all yeah like all women so maybe it's like to anyone who's like susceptible to that then it's like very triggering I wonder too it's almost like yeah. we our whole lives, I think, as, like, women that grew up in our era, we know that it's wrong. Like, we all went to college. We're all, like, feminists, well-read feminists that are, like, I am more than my body. Like, I know that it's sick to do this. Like, we've been fighting so long against that inclination that just to have, like, a place to, like, rest your brain where you can indulge all of the thoughts that you've been fighting your whole life was just so comforting that it was very easy to fall into 100% and then be like, fuck you, Portia. But really, that's just, like, it was just fun. That's like your brain's natural desire is to think those thoughts. And it was very easy to take on her narrative and then be like, you made it seem too appealing. But when really it was what I wanted to hear my whole life. That she was yeah. saying what I had always thought, which is that being skinny is the most important thing you can do. It is the most admirable thing you can do. And if you almost die from it, it means that you want, <laughs> that you're better than other women. <laughs> right. And she like, doesn't like, um, it's kind of like women. Yeah. Like now it's like, unwoke to talk about wanting to be thin basically and like express, and I get like yelled at on Twitter for this and like it just like and so to have it be like I, but I get mad when I get yelled because I'm like this is like the media has told me my whole life to try to be thin and now I'm not allowed to like admit that it's a thing I want and so like yeah reading the book I'm like okay it's like not like the things I think are so far from that that I'm not crazy at all you know like it almost like kind of normalizes having like a small eating disorder because she had like such an extreme one. That is so, I feel like, unique to women in every aspect where it's like a woman, like, admitting that she wants success is, like, so gauche. But, like, it's, like, you're supposed to just, like, achieve success without trying hard at all. And then, like, also with men and diets, like, the amount of men who, like, make headlines for, like, like, the way Chris Pratt, like, got ripped as fuck to become a movie star. Like, the way, like, all the Chris's will, like, just get shredded. Christian Bale, it's so... Yeah, like, Adele gets, like, ripped apart for losing weight, even though it's, like, everyone had told her her whole career that she was fat, you know? Yeah, everyone was like, I can't believe Adele is so talented because she's yeah. fat, and we're that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, every time a guy, like, does anything extreme with his body, for a role or for any reason, people lose their fucking minds about how cool and impressive it is. And, like, Kumail was in the gym for, like, 100 hours a week, and everyone's like, incredible work. And if a woman did that, everyone would be like, this is, like, repulsive and, um, like, over like setting a bad example for girls and whatever. And it's just like, there is this like weird thing where like, if a woman tries hard at anything, it's like gross and bad. <laughs> oh, I'm mad. <laughs> totally. Thank well, you so much for doing this. This yeah, was, was super fun. 